Hi, my name is Grady Summers. Thank you for joining us for our latest FireEye Ion Security podcast. I'm FireEye CTO, and I'm here at RSA, uh, joined today by Jurgen Kutcher, uh, Senior Vice President of Security Consulting Services here at Mandiant. So Mandiant recently came out with its seventh annual M-Trends report. It's hard to believe it's, it's been seven now. Uh, and M-Trends always looks at attacker trends. It looks at the most targeted industries. Um, we delve into attacker motives. Uh, and really just a look at what is a Mandiant incident response team seeing when it goes out to work with our clients. Uh, so we're going to delve into the, to the report. Uh, Jurgen, thanks a lot for being here. Thanks for having me here, Grady. So, Jurgen, business disruption attacks were a key theme of M-Trends this year, and they appear to be a growing trend. What exactly are these business disruption attacks, and how are enterprises being impacted by them? So, business disruption attacks are really any type of attack that's aimed at destroying critical business systems that is leaking or threatening to leak sensitive, confidential information, or even hold companies at ransom. The motives behind these attacks can vary greatly, but they include political, financial, obviously, or simply want to embarrass a victim organization, cause reputational damages. The impact of these types of attacks is very, very broad, just like the motives can be very broad. You can range all the way from non-targeted crypto locker type incidents, mm-hmm. where organizations are dealing with a crypto locker outbreak that may damage or bring out, take out of service a few workstations all the way through attacks, as we've recently seen, that really impact entire enterprises and take them out of business for a certain period of time. And obviously, you know, for many, many years, Mandiant has worked with thefts of intellectual property, which are certainly disruptive to the business. My sense is we're seeing something a lot more acute here, right? Yeah, absolutely. So this has been a significant change over the last year or two where attackers no longer just try to remain hidden for long periods of time to steal intellectual property, but where they're coming in very quickly, very loud, they're causing a lot of damage. Mm -hmm. That's why we also call these types of attack asymmetric attacks, because if Mm -hmm. you think about it, the skill level that, for example, a nation-state-sponsored attack group needs to remain undetected in a large enterprise is very different from an attacker who just wants to disrupt things, who just wants to come in, cause a lot of damage over a short period of time. There's plenty of malware out there that these attackers can leverage right away, and the potential damage to the victim organization can be very, very significant, of course. Yeah, for sure. And when I, I think when business executives hear you know, significant damage like that, you know, they're thinking about cost. Um, where do impacted organizations uh, incur the biggest financial costs in this kind of attack? And like, how, much, how much do they cost? What have we seen? So I think the cost, it's hard to quantify because, again, the range is very broad. However, there's a number of different categories that cost can be broken down to. One is the production outages, right? That can be very easily quantified for most businesses. If you think about a minute, an hour, a day of outage, how much does that cost to the business? That can be quantified. Data theft. Some cases we see data theft. There's an immediate value tied to that data theft. There's Mm -hmm. reputational damage, which is a lot harder to quantify, as we know. And there's the ransom at times, which can be very, very significant cost as well. Now, that is the cost tied to dealing with the attack itself. But there's a second cost factor that organizations need to consider. That is the remediation and improving their security controls. Mm. These types of attacks are likely coming back. You may get rid of them today. That doesn't mean you're protected in the future. You need to make significant investments to make sure you close all those doors, that you perform red teaming type assessments to understand your exposure and fix those gaps, implement new security controls to prevent this from happening again. Yeah, it's so true. We always talk about how an ounce of prevention um, 
is, is so critical. I mean, organizations probably need to be spending that money anyway. They're going to spend it after mediation. They probably should have been spending it to begin with, but yet now they incur, if they don't do that, they, they now incur the cost of a breach. So definitely more expensive if, if you're not prepared going into it, I guess. So, you know, a hospital uh, was in the news recently after its network uh, was infected with some ransomware. Um, Many of us read about that. Can you talk about what is ransomware and should we expect to see more of these in the future? Mm -hmm. Good question. Yeah. So ransomware is a type of malicious software that really prevents users from accessing their data or their systems. It typically requires the victim to pay a ransom, an amount of money to restore access to their data or their system. Frequently, this ransom is now being charged in terms of un. Uh, unregulated currencies such as Bitcoin, for example. great example is, of course, CryptoLocker and all of the dozens and dozens of variants that have come out over the past couple of years, right? For anyone who's not aware, so CryptoLocker is a piece of malware that encrypts your entire hard drive or sensitive documents and then charges you an amount of Bitcoins in order to obtain the decryption key, a very, very dominant type of malware that we've seen tremendously over the past couple of years. Now, we expect to continue to see an increase of this type of uh, ransomware. Obviously, it's been very successful. Unfortunately, attackers are making significant amount of money with this type of ransomware. As I said, it's an asymmetric Mm -hmm. uh, attack. It is very low effort on the side of the attacker, huge impact, huge benefit to the attacker again. It can generate a lot of media visibilities if you're trying to cause an embarrassment, if that's your motive. Again, very simple to do that. Attackers have those tools available, impact very, very significantly. And ultimately, ransomware is really nothing new to the world. It's been around for a long time, but Mm -hmm. we've really seen a significant uptick, both in ransomware that is very uh, non-targeted in nature, like crypto lockers, right, that just spreads like uh, like any type of malware, but also more targeted against large corporations. And it's been around a while, but we're seeing more. Do you you think the catalyst is just the anonymous nature of Bitcoin? It's easier to pay a ransom now for the criminal anyway? Yeah, I think... Bitcoin is definitely a factor that plays into that. I think the other factors are just the media attention that it's been getting and people are realizing how well this works, how much money attack groups are making with that. That is a big lure to any type of attacker when you see how easy it is. Now, in the the case I mentioned earlier, the hospital ended up paying the ransom. Uh, What do you recommend to clients? Is that a good idea? So that is a very difficult question to answer, unfortunately. Every case is really, really unique and I can't provide a unique answer to that question. However, There's a lot of recommendations we provide to organizations, right? One is be prepared, right? Have a good incident response plan. One thing we've learned by investigating these types of attacks is you have a very, very short time window to respond. The attacker is going to put a gun to your head and give you hours, maybe a day or so to respond. So you don't have a lot of the luxury of time to build out a complex plan. You need to have a well-oiled incident response plan. You need to have well-established relationships with law enforcement, external legal counsel, an incident response company that can help you, a PR strategy on how you're going to deal with that. Time is going to be of the essence. Other things to consider, of course, is the adversary is human. You can't predict the response. And that's why, again, your question is so difficult. Every attacker will respond differently. But you have yeah. to keep in mind as you interact with that, it's a person you're interacting with. You provoke them, there'll be a response. You yeah. don't respond, there will be a response on their side, right? Yeah, for sure. And there's a number of other recommendations we provide, such as, for example, have a clearly segmented backup environment. Yeah. Fortunately, we see clients where the backup environment is part of the corporate network and attackers are able to yeah. destroy backups. Yeah. Now, a small problem becomes much more significant again. But then also, of course, being focused. 
acting quickly, right? Focus on those pieces of evidence that are really going to help you understand what you need to do, how you need to respond, and even confirm the breach. Not all cases are that clean cut. If an attacker tells you, I have your data, doesn't actually show you evidence, yeah. it is, can be challenging to figure out, is this actually real or is it a bluff? Again, yeah. every situation is unique. Absolutely. But most importantly, again, take action after the breach has been dealt with. Yeah. Improve your security posture. If you don't make those investments, you're likely to be in the same situation again a few months down the road. Thanks. Yeah, that's great advice. So, you know, in this year's Imtrends report, we, we talked about the fact that the median number of, of days that attackers were present on victim networks um, before they were discovered actually dropped quite a bit. Um, you know, last year was 205 days. Uh, we saw this year about 146 days. And I should note that's down from, I remember when it was, I think, 412 days just, just uh, four or five years ago. So it's really coming down. Why are we seeing that decrease, and, and how relevant is that for a typical org that's being targeted? Mm-hmm. I think enterprises are getting better at detecting attacks, right? If we actually break down that number into enterprises that have self-detected mm-hmm. versus that have had external notifications, those have detected the breach on their own have done it in typically an average of 56 days. External notifications still up at 320 days on average. So you can actually see that the investments that organizations are making are starting to pay off. And it also highlights that companies should absolutely improve their detection and response capabilities. There clearly is a positive trend here. The industry as a whole has improved. So what is being done is starting to pay off. Now, the big challenge, of course, is that attackers can accomplish their mission from initial compromise to data theft in a matter of hours or a few days. So we're still orders of magnitudes away from where we need to be, right? We need to bring this 56 days or this 146 days down to hours, ideally. So there's still a lot of room for improvement. But again, we're moving the needle in the right direction, but a lot more work to be done. Yeah, definitely. Now, the report also talked about uh, the fact that attackers are increasingly targeting enterprise networking devices. Uh, What does Mandiant see as being targeted and, and why are they being targeted? Yeah, so that is a real interesting trend that we've seen there. The types of devices we see them targeted are your classical network infrastructure devices, right? Routers, firewalls, switches. And the reason why they like to target those, there's really a number of reasons, but one of them is they're hard to investigate, right? Typical investigation focuses on the workstation, the server environment, especially if you find out that there are existing backdoors, you can identify how attackers have gotten into the environment. You'll remediate that, you'll eliminate the attackers, and you're probably never going to look at those devices. And tied to that is also the fact that there's a lack of tools available for investigators to really go after routers, switches, firewalls, etc. Organizations can have hundreds of these devices. They can be from multiple different vendors even. They all have different software versions, different complex configurations, right? And again, the lack of tools makes it really hard to scale and the, the investigation of those types of devices. And that's where the challenge is. And that results in the attacker's benefit of creating persistence again, right? It's an easy backup solution, right? Let's yeah. say all of your backdoors have been found on the workstations, on the servers, all that's been cleaned up. You've got some backdoors in some of the network infrastructure devices. You're still in business, right? And the victim organization may not realize you're actually still in their environment. And finally, of course, network devices, think about the role they play. They're your first layer of defense, right? They can block, for example, command and control type Mm. uh, traffic. They can also prevent remote access into the environment. If you as the attacker have access to those critical devices... You can change all that. You can grant yourself the level of access that you need, and you're going to learn more about the environment. You can look at routing tables and other information on those devices, giving you a great reconnaissance tool on top of that. So all that combined makes these devices actually really interesting targets. It sounds like it. I imagine it's different investigating those types of targets as well for Mandiant, right? 
Absolutely. It is a very manual process. Yeah. We take a lot of time to analyze each and every individual system. And you have to also understand not all malware, not all compromise is always persistent on those types of devices. Oh, yeah. You have to compare what is running in memory with what the boot image actually looks like. You have to go back to the vendor, confirm mm. system integrity, etc. So it's a very manual process. Well, to that point on system integrity, what can orgs do to make sure that their, their networking devices are secured? Um, or does that fall back on the device manufacturers? I mean, can an organization actually do something here? Yeah, I think an organization can do something. I mean, a manufacturer also needs to take action, but that goes yeah. without saying. But what an organization can do is, first of all, strong authentication and administrative interfaces for networking yeah. equipment. That is a no-brainer, right? That is, doesn't just tie to these types of attacks. That just goes all across the board. That is just good security hygiene anyone should have, right? But then you can also verify the integrity of your devices, right? You can validate what's running in memory versus the boot image, as I said. You can implement a good change and patch management process, yeah. right? Who has the authority to make changes to a system, when can they make those changes, and what is the audit trail that is left behind by these changes, right? right. And you can store good known configurations and images on a secure server and mm. validate those every time before you make changes and implement them. So there's a lot that organizations can do to try and reduce the risk of these types of attacks, and there's a lot organizations should be doing, because again, these have become very real-world attacks these days. Yeah, very interesting. Well, Jürgen, it's always fascinating to chat with you. Uh, I would remind our listeners they can check out the Imtrends report up uh, on the FireEye website, uh, or just a quick Google search, you can find the 2016 Imtrends report. So Jürgen, thank you very much. Thank you, Grady.